Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in the worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Brother Jed DeVos has requested an attestation to the Free Reformed Church of Kelmscott and we wish him the Lord's blessing in his new congregation. And the thank offerings during next week's Sunday services will be a thanksgiving collection for the Evangelical Reform Seminary in Ukraine. And this afternoon the worship service will be led by Brother Dathan Plater. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 56 verse 5. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise and worship our God. As we come to praise and worship God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets us this afternoon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and praise God for the joy of being gathered as his people with the words of Psalm 122, verses 1 and 3. Yes, 
It's at this point in our liturgy where we make the good confession of our faith, and we'll do so this afternoon with the words of the Nicene Creed, which you find on page 494 of the, the Book of Praise. It's the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten not made of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for men and our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us now praise God in response, and we'll do so with hymn 10, verses 1 and 2. Now come before God in prayer. Dear God in heaven, your word tells us to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so, gathered as church of our Savior Jesus Christ, we draw near to you this afternoon. Now we pray that you would draw close to us, God, as as your word is read and, and proclaimed. Silence our our agendas, Lord, get rid of any presumption that we might have in our hearts and break us free from any casual sort of detachment from your word, any apathy that might be there in us. Rather, penetrate the corners of our hearts with your word, for we know that your word is living, that it's active, and that it's sharp, and that it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow. And Father, we know that you can do this as Almighty God, 
And we pray that you will do this as our faithful Father. And so we ask all of this in our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In his name, amen. So this afternoon, it's my intention to preach uh, God's word as it's summarized in our confessional reading of Lord's Day 48. And so in preparation for that, we'll read together from Matthew 13. Matthew 13, this is a section of of parables that Jesus gives to his disciples and to the the crowds. So previously he had the parable of the sower, of the different seeds that are are spread, and the different reactions, essentially, to the ministry of Jesus, and now he speaks about the coming of the kingdom. We have some kingdom parables. So Matthew 13, you'll find that on page 973 of the Guest Bible. So verse 31, this is the word of the Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so far from Matthew's gospel, now let's turn to Paul's letter to the the Colossians and read the whole chapter of uh, Colossians chapter 1. So Colossians 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth, of, of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And through the sermon, we'll particularly look at uh, verses 9 through 14 in reference to Lord's Day uh, 48. Now, in response to the Word of God, let us sing together from Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2.
So our confessional reading for this afternoon's service is Lord's Day 48, where we continue our treatment of the Lord's Prayer. So last week we focused on the first petition, Hallowed Be Your Name, and here in this Lord's Day we look at the second petition, Your Kingdom Come. What is the second petition, Your Kingdom Come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit, that more and more we submit to you, preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. Congregation greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were waiting for a train, and you had five minutes, and maybe there was someone next to you, so you had five minutes to tell them the gospel, what would you say? Maybe just think about that for a moment. How would, how would you explain it to them? What words would you use? What, what would you focus on? After all, you only got five minutes. So in Proecclesia, you'll see these, these little outlines. It's called Two Ways to Live. And the two ways to live, it, it gives an explanation of the gospel, and then it focuses on the kingship of God. So it explains the gospel like this. It says that God is the loving ruler of the world. He, he made the world and everything in it. And he made men to rule the world with him. But then man rejected God's rule and tried to live his own way. But in doing so now he, we fail as a society to, to rule. We fail to rule ourselves. But then it continues. It says that God won't let us rebel forever. Rather... Instead, he's going to send judgment and death on those who rebel against him, those who fail to submit to his kingship. But then it continues and it says, because of God's love, he sent Jesus into the world. He always lived under the rule of God. He died in our place. He took our punishment. And now it ends with this. So there's two ways to live. You can live for yourself, ruling your own life, which will lead to eternal death. Or you can believe in Jesus Christ, submit to him, and receive eternal life. Well, that explanation actually fits very well with what we read in the Bible. So when Jesus, in his preaching ministry, he started off, he begins and he preaches about the kingdom of God. So Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Mark 1 verse 14 says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So our Savior's gospel proclamation, it focused on the kingdom. It focused on God as King and Lord. It was a call to submit to His Lordship. To bow under His rule. The kingdom was coming and it was here in Jesus Christ. Now for us, on this side of the cross, the kingdom focus of the gospel hasn't, hasn't disappeared. 
We look at the next petition, the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, Your kingdom come. And this, this is a prayer, really, that the whole world would be subject to God as King. And so the call is the same. The call is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ whom God has set as, as the Lord of all. And so Christ has won the victory through his death. The kingdom of God is advancing in the world. And now it says the believers in Jesus Christ, they look ahead to that final victory. They pray, your kingdom come. They pray so that the kingdom would come, that God may be all in all. It's all in, in anticipation for that great day. And so we see that Christ teaches his disciples to pray for the subjection of all things to the king. And that's going to be our theme this afternoon as we look at this petition. Christ teaches us to pray for the subjection of all things to the king. And so we'll look at the Lord's Day in three ways. So we'll firstly look at submission to the king. And then we'll look at endurance for the battle. And then the consummation of the kingdom, which deals with the last few sentences of the Lord's Day. The fullness of the kingdom. So firstly, if we look at the Lord's Day, we see that it deals with submission to the king. It's interesting that when the catechism asks the question, what does the second petition mean? The answer is quite striking. In some way, you'd expect that the catechism would begin by talking about, you know, the world out there. You'd almost expect them to say, so your kingdom come, that is. May you preserve and increase your church. Grant that your people would go out according to the Great Commission so that more and more would, would bow the knee. Almost in the sense of, Lord, in a world full of sin, grant that more and more people would believe and would submit to you. That's almost what you would expect. The world out there. And yet, the catechism begins its explanation with the world in here. That's certainly included, out, the world out there. But it focuses not on all the rebelliousness in the world around us, but the rebelliousness in our own hearts. So rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. So before we pray for the world to submit to God the King, we ask God to change our rebellious hearts that prevent us from submitting to his rule. We ask God to change our hearts so that we would submit to his rule. It begins with us, brothers and sisters. And this focus on submission, a life of submission, it comes from passages like Colossians. So if you, as you may have noticed, as we read through the first chapter of Colossians, Colossians is a book that's all about the preeminence of Christ, the lordship of Christ, that's, that Christ is far above all things. He is great and he is glorious. God has made all things through his son, Jesus Christ. It's about his rule, his, his ultimate authority. And here in the opening verses of, the, uh, of, of Colossians, Paul prays for submission to Christ's lordship. He prays that the Colossians would press on in, in maturity. We read that in verses 9 and 10 uh, of Colossians. Sorry, not 10. Uh, verse... Yes, sorry, nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, bearing good works. So God has delivered this congregation, these, these people, 
He's delivered them from the kingdom of darkness. And now he prays that that same people would walk in a manner worthy of God. And so how would they do that? How do, how do they walk in a manner worthy of God? Well, Paul says it's by obeying God's will. It's by submitting to the king. So that phrase, fully pleasing, where it says, so, walk, uh, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That phrase is a word that literally means to be, to be obedient in a servant-like way. You obey that person so much, you're a servant to them and their desires and their will. And, and Paul uses that servant-master relationship later on where he's speaking about the household codes. And he says uh, to, the, um, to the servants, he tells them in chapter 3 verse 24, he says, you are serving the Lord Christ. And then in 4 when he addresses the masters, he says, treat your bondservants justly and fair, fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so that relationship of servant and master comes back a few times. And so if we think of that for a moment, you have a servant and you have a master, well, how would a, a servant please his master? Well, he would, do, he would please his master by doing his master's will. He would obey his master. So if his, his master wanted something done at a, on a specific day, at a specific time, well, that servant would do it on a specific day, at a specific time. That would be pleasing to his master. But it also we see that in order to please his master, he would have to know his master's will. And that's, what Paul, uh, that's why Paul begins his prayer with knowledge of the will of God. He says... We have not, not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that's God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as these Colossians grew in their knowledge of God, they would understand his will for their life. They would understand what, what pleases God. And where does God reveal his will for our lives? Well, it's in his word, isn't it, congregation? It's as we read his word that we see how God wants us to live in this world. We see the way of blessing. We see the way of submission. It's in his word how we understand how we can live to his praise and to his glory. And yet, simply knowing the master's will is not enough. Because he moves from there and asks then, he says, he says, you know, I want you to grow in the knowledge of God's will so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that you would obey. That's what submitting to the rule of God looks like. It looks like obedience. That's what's walking in a manner that is pleasing to God. It's obedience. You see, if we think of last week, last week the call was to know God so that we would glorify Him, so that our hearts would be filled with, with joy and adoration for who He is. But here, the call is to know God so that you may obey Him, so that you would submit to His rule. It's a prayer that our rebellious hearts would be changed so that we might walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And you see, isn't that the struggle of the Christian life? It's obedience. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And then again in Matthew 12, verse 50, he says, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. And so he's saying there that if you love the king, you will obey the king. Maybe just to illustrate this, a few years ago there was a a video going around kind of confronting Christians on this very, very uh, aspect. So it used the example of a, a mom telling her daughter to go clean her room. So the room was a mess. The, daughter, the, the mom walks in and says, clean your room. I want to see it clean by this time. And so then mom comes in later on and she asks, well, why is the room not clean? And the daughter says, well, I listened to a really good podcast of how to clean the room. And it was really encouraging. And then a couple hours later, mom comes back and the room still isn't clean. And so she kind of is exasperated and she says, why isn't the room clean? And then she says, well, actually, here's a stack of books that I read about cleaning your room. It was really confronting. And and you get the point, congregation. You know, for for the child, obedience is is what will please her mother. Just clean the room. And isn't that the difficulty of the Christian life? How many of us know the will of God? Many of us here are Christians. We believe in Jesus Christ. We have been busy in his word for a long time. We know how to live. And yet we don't obey. We struggle to obey. You'd say we struggle to clean our room. That's the, it's the hardest part. Because often our desires of our heart is... May my kingdom come, not your kingdom come. We want to rule our own lives. And so even though we know what God wants for us, even though we know how he wants us to live, we still want to be ruler of our own lives. And you see that tendency in your soul to resist submitting to God's will and obeying him comes from our forebears, Adam and Eve, You see, when Adam and Eve took the fruit in Genesis 3, they didn't want to be subject to God. They were rejecting his lordship, his kingship over them. See, it was an attempt by them to be rulers of their own lives, to be lords of their own hearts. You see, congregation, for us to to more and more submit to God's rule, we need the second Adam, Jesus Christ. If you look at Christ's ministry, there's one thing that will strike you. It's his undivided submission to God. You see, often when we look at our own lives, we can see, you know, 50-50. We serve God here, and yet we want to keep this side for ourselves, or 70-30, or 60-40, whatever it is. But when you look at your Savior, Jesus Christ, you see undivided, full submission. Even already as a boy, he busied himself knowing the will of God. That's what the people were amazed at in Luke 2. In Luke 2, Jesus is sitting in the temple with all these teachers. And he's listening to them. And he's asking questions. And then we read, all who who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. This boy knew God. He knew the will of God. And that continues as you look in his ministry. Christ not only knew the will of God, but he did the will of God. He walked in a way that was fully pleasing. He submitted. 
You see, God wasn't just a part of his life. It was, he was his whole life. We read that. It's, it's, you, know, you can think of it this way. It was the reason why he got up in the morning. It was the reason why he went, bed, went to bed late at night after healing all these crowds because he was doing the will of God. You read that in John 4, verse 34. He's, he compares it to his very nourishment and sustenance. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then it comes back in John in 6, verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then it comes back in John 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me. And then if you continue through John's gospel and read the Christ's prayer right at the end of his life, the sense of what you get is his love and his devotion to God. He was completely devoted to his father. Often his prayer is, Father, you have told me to do this. See, I have done it for your glory. Look at what I've done. And yet what we see is that he continued to submit to his Father's will, even when it was the Father's will to crush him for us, to crucify him for our rebellion, for our resistance to his rule over our lives. Jesus was numbered with rebels, people who were rebelling against a king, and he did that because of our rebellion See, Paul David Tripp, he puts it beautifully. He says, in an act of outrageous rebellion, Adam and Eve try for God's place. Then he says, in an act of shocking submission, Jesus dies in our place. I'll repeat that. In an act of outrageous rebellion, Adam and Eve try for God's place. In an act of shocking submission, Jesus takes our place. Christ was obedient to death. And you see now, by God's grace, that perfect obedience of Christ is ours. His perfect obedience, his undivided submission is ours. He has sent his spirit, his spirit into your hearts so that you might more and more submit to his rule. So that more and more the resistance that you find in your heart is, is taken captive to Christ so that you would submit. And so therefore we pray, Lord, so rule us by your word that we would know your will and we pray, change us by your spirit so that we would do your will so that more and more we submit to you. And so what we see is firstly, it's, we're asking God for us to more and more submit to him. But we're also asking for endurance for the battle and that leads us to our second point. So it says there in the, in the catechism, uh, preserve and increase your church, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. So it's a prayer for preservation. It's interesting, Paul continues his prayer and it's a prayer of preservation. Verse 11, he prays that the Colossians would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He prays that God would strengthen this church so that they would endure, so that they would continue in maturity. And why is that? Because the Colossians were in a battle. They were part of a cosmic battle between, between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of light. It's that great antithesis that you read about in Genesis, where the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent 
And notice how even though Paul says that God has delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son, he still prays for strength because Satan is still waging war against the church. Satan hates it when more and more people believe in Jesus Christ and submit to him. He hates it where God's kingdom continues to advance. And so there's no moment where we're safe from the devil's attacks. He tries constantly to undermine our submission to the, to the king and to stop the advance of God's kingdom in the world. And you see what's fascinating is how often Paul speaks about the Colossians' faith. He speaks about their knowledge, their steadfastness. So verse 3, he says, no, sorry, verse 4, he talks about, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints... And then in chapter 2, verse 5, he speaks about rejoicing because he sees their good order and the firmness of their faith in Christ. And yet despite of their faith, despite of the firmness of their faith, he recognizes that they're in danger. This church is in danger. They're in danger of falling away from the gospel. To use the words of the catechism, there was a conspiracy against the word of God in Colossae. And so they needed strength. This church needed strength to endure. So Colossians 1 verse 28, we get a hint of that where he says, um, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And then he continues in in 2 verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The Colossians were in danger. And what was that conspiracy against the word of God? Well, we find that in chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then later on, he speaks about Asking God, let not you disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail over visions, puffed up. And then he says, not holding fast. That is, not holding fast to the head, which is Christ. So the picture, it seems, that what was going on in Colossians, there was this, this false teaching that somehow mixed uh, pagan religion, so the worship of angels, and then also Jewish ceremonial elements. That's why you have these... Uh, emphasis of fasting and feast days and things like that. And so there was, there's all that that was uh, attacking the church. But what's important for our purposes is that the, the heart of the temptation, the heart of the false teaching, was not holding fast to Christ their head. It was letting go of Christ and accepting these teachings. He says there, take everything captive to Christ So he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. And then he says, not according to human tradition. According to human tradition and not according to Christ. So it's being taken in by all those things and letting go of the Savior. And so Paul prays desperately that God would preserve the church, that they would hold on to Christ, that would hold on to him, and that they would stand in the face of these temptations. Now, brothers and sisters, many of us here, we've heard the gospel. Many of you are firm in your faith. There's a lot of great faithfulness here. And yet, like the the Colossians, 
Despite of that, we're not beyond the attacks of the devil. We are not, we are not safe, you could say. There is no one here this afternoon that does not need strength to, start, to, to, to not cave to the temptations that you will face in the new week. Because we, as Christians, were weak. Think of Christ. Christ talks about the gates of hell going against the church. And we experience that, don't we? Just think of what happens when, when you're tempted. It's late at night and you're tempted to look at things that you shouldn't look at. It. And it wears you down. Maybe it goes for a time. And then it comes back. And then it comes back. And it comes back. It's so, so strong. Or you go, you go to the fridge for the fourth time, even though you shut it again. It feels so strong. Or you know you shouldn't lash out in anger, but it just, it just burns in you. And you want to really just, just let it out. We experience it. Don't you, don't you feel that attack, how, how strong it is? Don't you feel the struggle just to, to give in? Well, brothers and sisters, pray for the kingdom of God to come. Because that is a prayer for strength, that you would stand against the forces of the devil. Because without it, we fall every time. See, here it's a prayer that Christ would strengthen you, that he would empower you. And notice what Paul says. It's, it's an amazing thing. He, he mentions being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. All power, unlimited, complete. Essentially, he's praying that that the Colossians would be strengthened by God's strength, the greatest imaginable strength. And then he emphasizes that phrase, talking about the, his glorious might. And, and we find a par- parallel of that phrase in Ephesians 1, verse 19 to 20, where Paul prays that the Ephesians would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, who worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and raised him at the right hand in heavenly place. You see the strength and the power that Paul is talking about here, that he's asking God to fill his church with, is not some sort of new age power. It's not some sort of, you know, the superhero powers that you, that you read of in comics. No, it's resurrection power. It's the divine power that can destroy strongholds, as Paul says. You see, that is power beyond belief, congregation. The power that God strengthens us with is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And what is that power? Well, it's not a what, it's a who. It's this Holy Spirit. Paul later says in in Ephesians 3 verse 16, he says that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So God sends the spirit, the spirit of Christ, so that we would be strengthened as church, that we may stand against the conspiracies of the devil against his church. So that he sends the spirit to protect you, to preserve you, to empower you in the face of temptation. Maybe that's sometimes the reason why we fall so often because we don't realize the power of the Spirit, the power of Christ in us. That is the power that is in you, congregation. 
He will strengthen you. He will equip you so you may endure. And that, that is the power that is, it says in Peter that will guard you for your inheritance, the inheritance to come, where we experience that final victory, the fullness of the kingdom. And that's what we see in the, the last point, the consummation of the kingdom. It says, do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you will be all in all. See, it's interesting, although Christ triumphed over the devil, although he's defeated Satan on the cross, we are still waiting for the fullness of that kingdom to come. So that is to say, the kingdom is here, so it's present, and yet it's not, it's not here yet. So there's an already and not yet about the kingdom of God. And that comes through in Colossians, where Paul, in, in 2 verse 15, he speaks about God disarming the rulers, the authorities, and putting them to open shame by triumphing over them through Jesus Christ. So that's happened. We belong to Christ. We've been raised with Christ, as Paul says later, later in the letter. And so those are all present realities. And yet, we also read, he prays in verse, uh, later in chapter 1, he prays, that the, the Colossians would be presented with holiness and blameless and above reproach on the last day. So it means that they're still waiting for the fullness of the kingdom. And so the, there, there's this tension. You've got the kingdom of God, which Christ preached, which is here, and yet it's not fully here. And that's important to realize that there's an already and not yet to the kingdom of God because sometimes that tension is hard for us Sometimes that tension between what is and what will be is very difficult. You know, you look around and it seems like the kingdom of God isn't advancing. You listen to the talk show radios and they talk about Christian fundamentalism and how it's just this plague on society. And you more and more we see that Christianity is being pushed out of the picture. And so it seems like the kingdom of God isn't advancing. And then you look at the church, you look at churches around you see churches that suffer from, from poor theology. You see churches that suffer by, because of division and because of conflict. You, you hear often of another pastor being done because of sexual misconduct and the church is, is hurting. And you look at that and you go, where's the kingdom? Where's the kingdom? You see a new believer come, they come with enthusiasm, they come with vigor, and then they leave again. And so it's, it's hard to see the kingdom of God advancing. Because while all of that happens, all the while, the world continues to look big and strong and it just keeps going. It makes me think of 2 Peter 3 verse 4 where, where Peter talks about these false teachers that say to the Christians, they say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the, the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. And sometimes you can have that question. You look around and you see, where is the advance of the kingdom? Where is the promise of his coming? And so you look at that and then you pray, your kingdom come, and it just seems like a wish. Well, congregation, if you, you sympathize with that, if that's you, know that you're not the only one to think that way. That's why we read from Matthew 13. You see, those people already struggled with that. Because Christ came and, pre and, and, and he preached, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they looked around them and they saw, they saw the Romans. 
They saw their oppression. They knew about all those prophets that prophesied of the great restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Now Jesus came preaching the kingdom and they looked around and said, where? Where is it? And so to encourage them, he gives them that parable. He tells them that parable of the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom is like a little seed, a tiny mustard seed. You put it in the ground, it's insignificant, you can hardly see it. And yet it grows, and it grows and becomes this great tree. The kingdom of heaven is like a little leaven, a bit of yeast. It's just a little bit of flour. It seems so insignificant. And then you put it in the rest of the flour, and the whole bread rises. And so Christ tells us this, to know that even though when we look at the kingdom, and we struggle to see its advance, that the kingdom is continuing. It is going on. You know, that, that seed is potent. As soon as it's in the ground, it starts growing. It keeps growing. It will be this constant, unstoppable force until all things come to fruition, until the fullness of God comes. He gives that to us because often we look around and we wonder. And so, congregation, as you await that future glorious kingdom where God will be all in all, where God will be the ruler of all. Don't let the longing for the kingdom turn into cynicism. Don't let the longing for the kingdom turn into cynicism where you start to forfeit the kingdom of God and start creating your own little kingdoms. But rather, don't lose heart. Let that longing drive you to your knees in prayer. Pray your kingdom come. Pray that Christ would preserve and increase his church. Pray that he would destroy the attacks of the devil. Pray for the advance of the kingdom and pray that the King Jesus Christ would come quickly, that he would come quickly and that he would usher in the fullness of the kingdom where God will be all glorious. Congregation, as John says in Revelation, he who testifies these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Jesus says, I'm coming. My kingdom is coming. And let now all of us as God's people say amen. Lord, come G- Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's now sing in response Psalm 143 verses 5 through 6.
as we come before God in prayer, we will also ask that, that God would be with um, the, uh, the rescue operations that are happening in Syria and Turkey following that, the devastating earthquake. And so we'll bring uh, those people before God's throne of grace. And we'll also pray for uh, the, the war that's continuing in, in Ukraine. So let us, let us come before God in prayer. Dear Lord God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. We marvel at how he understood your will and how he did your will. Lord, he lived to obey you in order to save us. And we pray that your kingdom would come in us, in our hearts, that we would more and more submit to your rule and authority, that we would steady on in the course, preserving. Lord, please protect your church from the attacks of the devil. Lord, he prowls around and he's ferocious. He conspires against us. And so we ask that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would endure and that your kingdom would advance in this world. And Lord, we think of the world this afternoon. We pray for it. Lord, you have sent your son in the world because you love the world. We heard about your kindness this morning, that you shower upon the evil and the good. You give rain in its season. You give food. Even though there's people that reject you, Lord, you are kind. And Lord, we, we know that it is also your will that not anyone would perish, but that all would come to believe in you. And so we pray that you would have mercy on our state. You know, Western Australia, it's... It's a state that's trying to let go of any piece of Christianity in culture and in, in the governance structure of, of society. And Lord, because of this, we see so much misery and sin. We see so much brokenness. There's so much hurt. Lord, for that's the only outcome when we try to rule life, our lives by ourselves. And so we pray that you'd show compassion for our state and for our nation, that you would grant freedom from slavery of sin, which only comes through submitting to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, we pray that they would be bound and, and so free. We pray that we would shine as lights, that more would believe in you and submit to you. Father, we also think of the earthquake in Syria and in Turkey, Turkey that, is, that has killed thousands of people. Father, it's tragic. And so we pray that you would bless the operations that are uh, underway to rescue people. We pray that you would be merciful, that, that there would be miracles, that more lives would be saved, so that people would see your divine power. Father, as you shook those buildings, we pray that you'd shake the idols of man's hearts so that there would be a doorway that opens up through this tragic situation for the gospel that the gospel would shine in this dark world. Lord, we think of Syria. It's, it's a place that is gripped by Islam. Lord, a false religion. And so we pray that a door of the gospel would open up as you, uh, in this situation. Father, we also think of those in Ukraine. Lord, the war has raged for some time now. It's, it's easy even to just forget about it. And Lord, many lives have been lost. It's created so much death, so much destruction. And, and Lord, 
When we hear of wars and rumors of wars, those are sounds of your, your footsteps. It's the sound of your returning. But in the meantime, we long for a day when there would be no wars, where there would be no hostility between nations, where weapons would be beaten into farm tools, as the prophet Isaiah says, where there would just be peace and harmony. And so, Lord, we pray for uh, the Ukrainians, we pray for the Russians, we pray that you would put an end to this in your grace. We pray that you'd be with the Christians who are in Ukraine. We're going to do some Thanks, thank offerings later for them. We ask that you would please bless them and watch over them as they suffer for the sake of the kingdom. Father, we also think of the seminary, the Reformed Seminary in Canada. We thank you for the blessing that it's been to your churches. Father, one of the calls that you have given is that there would be faithful men to teach other men your word so that your word would go forth. Lord, this is one of the ways that you advance your kingdom in this world, the proclamation of the gospel. And so we pray that you'd be with the professors and the teachers and the supporting staff as they try to equip the next generation of preachers and teachers. So, Father, please bless this work in your goodness. Father, we bring all of these things before you, knowing our unworthiness. But we thank you that we are worthy because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Your offerings for this afternoon are, are requested for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. And as you give of your offerings, remember the words of 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so as we collect for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary, this is one of the ways that we're helping uh, the, the fulfillment of this passage. That many would be able to teach and then afterwards we'll sing from hymn 54 verses 1, 2, 7, and 8.
As you go from this place, receive the blessing of God and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.